And Tom Cruise can do no wrong. Okay. Yes, I know he is a Scientologist, but here's the thing on the day of judgment. Is that what God is going to ask? You know, is that, is, is God going to say, Hey, I know, you know, you made all these movies and stuff, but your Scientologist can't let you in. No, no, God's not going to do that. God is going to be like, Tom, I loved your movies. Get in here. <laughs> Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to The Reactionary Christian, where we react against anti-Christianity and the general insanity of our times. I am your host, Gabriel Finocchio. We've got a great show for you today, a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of content to react to. I'm pretty excited. This is episode 13, and um, wow, we've come so far. We've made it to... The, um, it feels like it feels like we've been going for like 10 years 13 years <laughs> um, but no this is fun this is amazing and I love doing this this is not um, the, a show that I can't stand and that I want to quit because I hate it um, and that I procrastinate doing no <laughs> actually no not at all this is super fun i love this and um and i know you guys love it too i know even though some of you might not say it you really do love it deep down inside you're just really quiet and you you know it's hard for you to express yourself but um but anyway this is a lot of fun and um we've had a lot of fun and um we're going to continue to have a lot of fun. Somebody recently commented that uh, on the Rumble, one of the one of the videos on Rumble, underneath in the comment section, they were like, "I was," uh, <laughs> she's like, "I was, I was listening to the podcast, and then when <clears throat> in one of the videos, uh, the guy said an f word." And my uh, my child was in the room and listening, and I and, and it didn't bleep. And I'm like, oh geez, I just want to say right now, okay, that <laughs> this show is rated, it's spiritually R rated, okay. This show is not for children. This is an adults only broadcast. All right. And this is not a family show. This is, uh, <laughs> this is something that is for mature audiences only. And I do not recommend that you have children listening to this because their little brains will not understand what's going on and it's going to scare them and it should. And it's going to traumatize them, and it probably should too. And they can't handle the truth, right? They're like Tom Cruise in A Few Good Men, great movie. And they're saying, we want the truth. And I'm Jack Nicholson. And I'm like, you can't handle the truth. So truth must be taken. You know, truth is like a truck. And it has to come over the bridge of 
maturity. Okay. <laughs> and certain bridges can't hold that truck. You know, they're just not built for it. And so the truck's just motoring along and the bridge collapses. And you got a bridge on the River Kwai collapse. Okay. So I just want everybody to know, you know, do not let your children listen to this show. Okay. Hide your kids. Hide your wife. Um, hide, hide your animals. Pets. Pets also should not be listening to the show. Um, I always lock my cat in a room when I do the show because I, I don't want her to be traumatized by the content in this show. <laughs> uh, and so that includes dogs, but cats are more intelligent than dogs. So, you know, dogs, they're not going to, you know, dogs are kind of like potatoes. You know, they're the potatoes of the animal world, right? They're, they're, they're many times dumb. And if you own like a poodle or like a, like a labradoodle, like everybody's mixing dogs now, particularly with poodles. And it's, it's gross because poodles are poodles. Like they are the dogs with down syndrome. You have to understand this. Okay. And I have nothing against down syndrome. (laughs) I'm just saying poodles, they are not intelligent dogs. They just aren't. It's straight up true. And they, you know, poodles should, when you mix a German shepherd with a poodle, you're getting more poodle than German shepherd. You're getting, you're, you're taking something higher and you're lowering it. Okay. You're leveling down. That's what's happening. You're not leveling up. Okay. You want to level up the poodles leveling up for sure. But these poodles, they are not intelligent animals. They're like children. So so if you have a poodle, do not let the poodle listen to the show. Okay? German Shepherd? Yeah, probably. I think the German Shepherd would like it. Um, anyway, so we're just going to do some reacting. And uh, I hope everybody, you know, has enjoyed everything so far. Uh, do we have any announcements? We do. We do have an announcement. Uh, the announcement is... I'm canceling the show. No. <laughs> you wish. All the hate... All the hate... The, the people who hate watch, they're like, yes! Yes! <laughs> no, I'm not canceling the show ever. And... The people who hate watch, when they go to hell, they will have to, part of their torment in in eternity will be listening to the sound of my voice. (laughs) No, but um, where where was I going with that? Oh, yes. We will be having a debate where we are, you know, we're moving up in the world. We are having a debate and um, I've decided to... In offer a debate um, to a certain podcast and they have accepted the challenge and um, you know they shall they shall die by debate because only one of us is coming out of there alive and it's not going to be them 
So they are forewarned. You know, you mess with the bull, you get the horn. And um, I'm super excited about it because I think it's going to be moderated and it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, of course, it's going to be a friendly debate. But intellectually speaking, they are going to be completely trounced and they are going to instantly regret their decision. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's going to be embarrassing for them. They're going to be so embarrassed. I, the, my prediction for the debate is that they are going to start crying mid debate. And um, the tears of just agony and embarrassment and shame are just going to be pouring down their face. And their assistant will probably get a Kleenex box and, you know, hold it up and they'll take some Kleenex and dab their eyes. And then they'll apologize profusely for even thinking that the issue was up for debate. And... Um, and then, of course, I will mull over accepting their apology. But eventually I will accept the apology. But I want to give it some time to let it really sink in. That's how that I mean, listen, <clears throat> this is a professional's advice on accepting apologies. When people, you know, apologize to you and they come up to you and they say i'm so sorry don't immediately say you're forgiven don't do that you're giving it you're giving it away too easy what you got to do is wait nestle say i'll nestle that i'll think about that let me give it a think and um let me get back to you you know what i mean that's what you want to say and then let them just just stew in the juice you know, just let them get in that crock pot of guilt and shame. And, uh, and, and it works miracles. And then, and then maybe a week later, then you come back and you say, okay, I forgive, I forgive you. And by that time, you know, they'll probably sign the deed of their house over to you. Honestly, at that point, they will offer to pay for, a an all-inclusive vacation for you and your family to go on for at least six months at that point they'll be so desperate for forgiveness and um and so that so you get more out of the deal that's what it's about and um anyway okay let's get to some <laughs> content okay so this guy this guy's the lead actor from the show uh, Jack Reacher. It's, I think it's called Reacher. I actually don't know what this guy's name is. <laughs> I should. I really should. It's just, I, I'm bad with names. I just am. I'll never forget a face, but I'm bad with names. And that's a curse, by the way. That's not fun. Because when you see somebody, you know, you've talked. I'll talk to somebody for five minutes, never forget their face. See them in the airport six years later. You, hey, yeah, wow, hi. Gosh, how are you? All right, bye, you. Bye, you guy. Anyway, it's always really awkward, but 
I don't know this guy's name. I can probably just Wikipedia it, but um, he's the guy from Jack Reacher, lead character, and he is a Christian, which is super cool. So he gets on YouTube and I think I think YouTube, but wherever else, and he does you know he does some talking. So let's check this out. I don't want to listen to the whole thing, but um, let's check out some of this stuff. I love playing Reacher. I love uh, telling this story. I love playing a character who uh, creates a, a kind of moral ambiguity that we should struggle against as we consider whether or not what he's doing is good all the time or morally right. Um, I think that kind of thing is fun and fascinating. And I think escaping to that world um, as an audience, hopefully it's as enjoyable for you as it is for me to help bring it to life. Um, but it's funny to me how a lot of people criticize me, supposed Christians especially, criticize me for playing Reacher as if the only TV that, that should exist is seeing people silently folding their hands in the, in the pew of a church. I mean, what kind of stories are we supposed to tell? If you look at scripture, what do you find? You see a thousand years of, a, of an infinitely holy, holy God holding tension with human beings as he tells the story of who he is, reveals who he is through an imperfect people. So we get stories, we get stories of, of a paganism and uh, uh, a war and bloodshed and ghost stories, mysticism. We see uh, uh, miracles and magic and uh, uh, we see life and resurrection and, and death. And uh, we see this incredible canvas where God is completely unafraid to tell the story of who he is through um, less than morally ambiguous characters, through, through pure evil sometimes, you know? So um, I think it's uh, laughable when people criticize me for playing characters that are not like saintly, you know? That's not my job, and I don't think God cares about only telling those kinds of stories. I think we can start conversations and we can reach people through these mediums in a way that um, I think God enjoys. And so here we are now where we can get to the heart of the matter, where God has built a platform because of the show for me, where I can reach people who maybe don't think about these things all the time. And maybe, maybe for those who are struggling or feel lost or want to try something new, um, they can find something that brings them hope like my faith has mine. And so to go back to the heart of the matter, I, I think we only have to look at the first two verses of the Bible to see who God is, the purpose of what he's doing and what he wants to do in your life. Okay, we're done with that. But, you know, that's that was really interesting. Um <clears throat> I liked Okay, so I so I'll, I'll say this, okay? How about this? I watched the first season of Reacher. Okay, and it's on Amazon Prime. Um and um I really enjoyed it. I thought that the first season of Reacher was great. I mean, it wasn't like great great you know what I mean? It was good. It was it was a decent show. Um, um, I really enjoyed this this gentleman. Okay, you know what? How about we look his name up? Okay, we're gonna uh, Reacher uh, uh, Reacher uh, show cast. Okay, Alan Richson. Alan Richson. Okay, great. So Alan Richson, I really enjoyed. Um, I really enjoyed season one. I thought season one was good. Um, you know, I can't remember all the details, but I thought it was good. Now, I'm not a comic guy, right? So I'm not like I'm not like you know, 
st- like looking for all the things in the comic books or whatever, right? So um, I know it's based on a comic book character, but I, I don't nerd out all, all over this stuff. And I wasn't allowed to read comics, by the way, when I was a kid. So I was, you know, so I was deprived of knowing all that information and probably rightly so. I mean, you know, anyway, but I'm, I'm comparing his acting in Reacher, uh, in Reacher, you know, season one and season two to the Jack Reachers that Tom Cruise made. And Tom Cruise can do no wrong, okay? Yes, I know he is a Scientologist, but here's the thing. On the Day of Judgment, is that what God is going to ask? You know, is that is, is God going to say, hey, I know, you know, you made all these movies and stuff, but your Scientologist can't let you in. No, no, God's not going to do that. God is going to be like, Tom, I loved your movies. Get in here. <laughs> in fact, I was just watching... I was just watching Mission Impossible 1. <laughs> Can you believe that when you showed up, Tom? Get in here. You're awesome. That's what God's going to do, okay? Mark my words. You'll see it. Trust me. No, um, <laughs> that was a joke, okay? All the Calvinists have, have left the chat. <laughs> All the Southern Baptists have left the chat. Um, no, Westboro Baptist has definitely left the chat. They left the chat probably 10 minutes ago but um the point is simply that um <clears throat> the first two the first re- the, the reacher movies like tom cruise's reacher um you know those 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 reacher movies were good the first one was really good second one was good but not as good as the first and that's typical right first iron man best iron man right first thor best thor so it's it is that's just how these movies work. But you know, with Jack Reacher, look, like I'm not I like this guy, okay? And I agree with what he just said as it pertains to um you know, Christians criticizing him for being a Christian and playing what he said as, like he's like a morally ambiguous character. Um yeah, I agree with that. Like I think that if I was directing a film or writing a story, the characters would all have issues and they would be working through issues because they'd be human. And also, um, you know, the story doesn't need to be uh, a children's story if you're targeting adults and you can you can deal with uh, graver matters and and you can even deal with sin. And you and you know like like there's that's the point about um stories and that's what he's right he's absolutely right that in the scriptures you're you 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 read stories all of the scripture is uh just one long story of uh sinners you know living their lives and and God interfering and inserting himself into the story and uh, inserting grace into the story, uh, but also sinners rejecting grace. And there's a drama that's going on. And so, yeah, so drama is good and biblical. Um, the problem is where the story does not have, um, it's, it's not that the, the problem isn't that the character has moral ambiguity. The, the problem is when the story 
has moral ambiguity. Okay, that is where that is where we hit, we 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 have a problem here because the stories of scripture, none of the stories in scripture have moral ambiguity as stories. You see the, the characters within the stories have moral ambiguity, but the story itself is very, very, uh, stark as it pertains to good and evil. We know in the story what good and what evil is. The question of what good is, the question of what evil is, is not in doubt in the Bible. And that's what makes the story even more compelling because there is such a commitment to truth and there is such a a real electric feeling that 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 lives are in the balance are being uh, held in the balance <clears throat> that heaven and hell are being are, are options here and potential and 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 there's there is a sort of um you know a deep grav gravitas to the the nature of the characters and the decisions, particularly the decisions that those characters make, uh, those decisions decide whose side they're on. Are they on God's side or are they on the devil's side? You see, that's how the Bible is written. And that is, that makes compelling, wonderful, incredible, uh, storytelling. But modern stories are not like that. Modern stories doubt all of the big questions like good and evil. There's, modern stories are rooted in a sort of fundamental skepticism about good and evil and God and the devil. And and so then they insert the character into this this world of ambiguity and the character then begins to ingest the ambiguity. And then, and then the story just, it ends up being milk toast. It ends up being forgettable. And yes, there's, you know, certain things that take place that are sensational, but the story's forgettable and the character's forgettable. And that's my problem because what ends up happening is, you know, in in season two of Jack Reacher, I watched season one, but I'm just going to say in season two, I turned it off straight up. I turned it off. I watched probably, I don't know, four episodes maybe of, of season two, maybe three episodes. And I just turned it off. You know why? Because it's woke. That's why, you know? <laughs> like the stories are woke the characters are woke the more the, the there's no there's a moral ambiguity in the storyline where it's it's telling us and normalizing woke behavior and i'm not interested in 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 watching that you know the the tom cruise movies the tom cruise uh jack reacher movies they weren't woke they weren't um, and they weren't, tr they weren't trying to uh, push an agenda of wokeness, but this dude, you know, and this is my thing. It's like, he's a Christian. He shouldn't be a part of the woke propaganda machine. He should, as a Christian, he should stand up and say, Hey, you know what? Season two, like when they came to him with the script of, of season two, you know, like I'll, I'll give you an example of the wokeness. Like there's this character. I think it's this girl right here. Maria Sten, 
Like, look at all these women, by the way. <laughs> this show is about Jack Reacher. Okay, it's called Reacher. It's about a dude who's ripped. It's like a dude show, and and literally, like the whole the whole front load of the cast is women. There's Alan Richardson, and then we have. Willa Fitzgerald, Sorinda Swan, Maria Sten, Kristen Krug. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, what the heck is going on here? But this girl, uh, Maria Sten, she plays uh, a character, and I'm pretty sure she 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 basically acts like a butch lesbian. Now I don't like that's my that's my take on it. I don't know if she ended up being a butch lesbian. Um in later like that like later developed into her character but like no i'm sorry i'm not into that when i watch jack reacher the attraction is jack reacher it's to it's a dude i'm thinking like okay this guy is gonna be like hanging with dudes okay he's a cop i think he's a cop he's hanging with dudes he's got his ex-military he's gonna be hanging with dudes but no, he's hanging with with women the whole time. And one of them is super butch and really is lesbian. And you know what? I'm not interested in her character development. And I'm she shouldn't even be in there. And you, honestly, when they came to him with the second season of the script, they should have he should have just said, Look, I don't I don't do this. I don't do woke. And you know what? If you want to cancel me, cancel me. I've already got season one. It's amazing. Uh, season two, I'm going to level up, not level down, but season two was a level down. It was, it went down to woke and woke, woke made it a joke. Go woke, go broke because this guy did, didn't watch your, your show, bro. And you know, I like this guy. I think this guy is a great actor. I'm, I'm thrilled that he's a Christian. Um, but, but no, like for real, um, I think I think he should have renegotiated season two, and when they came to him and told him that they were going to insert all these women and all this wokeness and all this garbage, he should have been like, "No, no, I, <laughs> I don't do this." Okay, Jack Reacher didn't do this. Tom, why did why did you, Tom Cruise didn't do this when he played Reacher? Why are you doing this to me? You know, and he should have just said, "No, I'm not going to play the character. I'm going to play." I, I want a better script. I want no women. <laughs> no, I don't. I, but he should have said like, no, I want, I want more dudes and I want this to be a dude season. Okay. This is dude time. And, um, you know, that's what I think. That's what I think it should have been, but they keep, that's the woke stuff. They just, they just keep going. It's, it's race. It's race, gender, and uh, social status. That's that's how you can tell if it's going woke. You know, race, gender, and social status, or or economic status, or whatever. It's it's just, you know, and then and then the addi the additional politics in it. It's just anyway. I stopped watching it, so I agree with everything he's saying, but. Um, as it pertains to scripture and storytelling. And I'm thrilled, as I said, that he's a Christian actor, but I'm just not into the woke stuff and I'm not going to support even a Christian actor. I'm not supporting a Christian actor who goes, who, who, who plays characters in a woke, in a woke uh, TV show.
because he's he's a part of the problem. He's now become a part of the problem. And I'm not doubting his Christianity. I'm not doubting whether he's a Christian or not. I believe he's well-meaning, well-intentioned, obviously well-spoken and uh, well-educated, but he is wrong because this this season sucked. Period. It sucked. And I wouldn't be, I haven't, I haven't followed up on it. I haven't checked the stats or whatever. IMDb'd it, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's, if it's, you know, gotten less ratings than the first season. And, you know, you go woke, you go broke. That's my thing. So in my opinion, this tough guy should have gotten tough with the studios. He should have gotten tough with the director, with the screenwriter. He should have been a tough guy. Uh, personally in on the set and said no I'm not settling I'm the star I am the star of the show and I will not be a part of the woke industrial complex in Hollywood right now and I will not be a part of the woke propaganda machine and I'm gonna I'm gonna make I'm gonna make shows that are awesome and they're it's gonna be violent and it's gonna be amazing and guys like Gabe are gonna want to watch it <laughs> Actually, don't say that, <laughs> but just, you know what I'm saying? It's going to be masculine. It's about Jack Reacher. Okay. It's not Jack Reacher and his woke squad. Okay. Anyway, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm doing. Uh, but I wish him the best in the future. I'd love to see him in more, uh, more films. Okay. Well, that's that. Let's move on. Okay. Let's do this guy. This guy, his name is uh, Dan McClellan. He's got a PhD and he's got pronouns in his bio. <laughs> so immediate, immediate red flag. His, <laughs> we immediately disregard everything he has to say. No, I'm kidding, but sort of not kidding. Um, we are, we are approaching him skeptically, but um, yes, this gentleman, Dan McClellan, uh, I saw this. I saw this video. This is interesting. Here we go. Let's listen. If you believe that the God of the Bible does not support enslaving other human beings, then you have all the tools, resources, and experiences that you need to believe that the God of the Bible does not condemn homosexuality. Hey everybody, I'm Dan McClellan. I'm a scholar of the Bible and religion. And there are five passages across the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament that condemn different kinds of same-sex intercourse in different ways and for different reasons. But the Bible invests far more real estate to talking about the ways that God would prefer you enslave other people. And then well over a thousand years later, society decided to change and to reject that practice as evil and it was right to do so but it meant that a lot of people had to turn around and look back at the bible and renegotiate their relationship with it and their understanding of the god of the bible so that they could move forward with the bible along with the observation that buying selling abusing and enslaving other human beings was evil so if you are one of those who endorses the outcome of that renegotiation and believes that the God of the Bible does not support enslaving other human beings, then you have all the tools, the resources, and the experiences that you need to do the same thing regarding homosexuality and the Bible. The only thing that is getting in the way is fear. 
fear of having to dismantle and reconstruct a worldview that has been so central to us, fear of losing the access to power and resources that has been facilitated by that identity marker, uh, fear of what will become of the relationships that have been so central to our experiences. And so fear is standing in the way of endorsing that renegotiation with the Bible. The word of God itself is not standing in the way. It is negotiable. And if you believe that the God of the Bible does not support enslaving other human beings, you've already been through those negotiations and you are already comfortable with them. Okay. So this video was on Instagram and, uh, geez, I mean, what a joke. (laughs) And this video, like I, man, the things that get popularity on Instagram, I think the algorithm favors nonsense. Um, <laughs> but it certainly favored this video, and it's total nonsense. Um, notice in the video, he starts with his credentials. He says, I'm a scholar of the Bible. And uh, and then he doesn't present any scholarship. <laughs> you know, he doesn't, he doesn't present any evidence... Uh, for what he's trying to say as though like he's just he's just given us a magical incantation you know abracadabra you know these are not the droids you were looking for i'm a scholar of the bible and then all of a sudden you know i have a phd and all of a sudden we're supposed to just be like like a a, like a glaze comes over our our eyes and we're just like oh everything that he's about to say is true you know i think that's how modern people uh like view this sort of stuff it's like if you have a if you say you're a scholar if you say if you have a phd from some probably woke liberal you know college you know it's um it's some thesis that that is total totally a joke you all of a sudden become god you now are able to rewrite the bible but really you know he doesn't present any evidence um about uh why he disagrees with homosexuality and or, or, you know, why he, he, all he does is equate homosexuality with slavery and say, well, because we've changed our minds on slavery, we can now change our minds on homosexuality. And that's pretty much all he said. He's like, yeah, you know, this is, and then everybody's just like gobbling it up. Like, oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Basically like, oh, thank you for being a smart person who validates our lifestyle, you know? Okay. Well, let me help people here. Um, and maybe uh, if Mr. McClellan, Dr. McClellan is listening, uh, he'll be able to, um, you know, figure some stuff out here. Uh, basically, it's really simple. What he's doing is conflating um, various types of law and and also conflating various types of slavery listed in scripture. Um so basically, there's three types of slavery that's listed in scripture. The first type of slavery is uh, chattel slavery, where we are, you know, people are treated like, well, furniture. They're treated as property and not as human beings. Well, that kind of slavery uh, was definitely being practiced in the, the world, the ancient world. In fact, every civilization in the ancient world 
uh, had slavery and 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 had chattel slavery, and so slavery was a normal part of life in the ancient world. Um, the first place we see slavery pop up, however, in scripture is in uh, where is Bible Gateway? Oh, there we go, right there. Bible Gateway. Okay, so let's go here. Hold on. Boom. Boom. Uh, first place we see scripture, uh, slavery pop up is in Genesis chapter 9. And this is where uh, Noah, after Noah built the ark, he, you know, the, the ark rested on Mount Ararat and God makes a new covenant with Noah called the Noahic covenant. And then in verse 18, it says, the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He, he well, you know, he's, he, he, he knows what to do, right? <laughs> he's like, all right, that was a long trip. First thing I'm doing is getting pissed. No. Uh, well, he does get pissed, but... <laughs> <laughs> he planted a vineyard, okay, and then he drank of the wine and became drunk. And after he became drunk, he lay uncovered in his tent. And so Ham, one of his sons, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth, his brothers, took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. So they did the right thing and didn't expose their father's nakedness. Um, but when Noah awoke from his, his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, the son Ham, he said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. So this is where uh, we see slavery first pop up. So what does that, what does that mean? That the first time we see slavery is that it's a, a curse upon uh, Canaan. Well, basically the idea is that slavery began as a curse upon the earth. Slavery did not begin. Slavery began as a punishment upon the human race. And it began with the curse of Noah as a punishment. And so what we see is um, that that you know the first type of slavery is chattel slavery but we also see that uh slavery can be a punishment and so now we see there's penal uh slavery so so there's chattel slavery penal slavery and then we see indentured servitude so indentured servitude is not chattel slavery. Indentured servitude is not penal slavery. And it is a third type of slavery that is based on indebtedness, uh, financial indebtedness to another person. Now, that third type of slavery, indentured servitude, is what the Bible allows as it pertains to the children of Israel. 
right? The God of the Old Testament, the God of the Old Testament, God in the Old Testament, man, I'm turning into a Marcionite. God in the Old Testament allowed for slavery uh, within Israel because um, of people needing to repay debts who were unable to pay debts and people who did not have money. And so he allowed them to become indentured servants so that they would be able to repay their debts. But God also established even within that means by which Israel, the, 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 the Israeli slaves, the Israelite slaves or the Hebrew slaves would be liberated. So he sets up the year of Jubilee so that every 50 years, all debts were canceled every 50 years. So it doesn't even matter what you know, the debt was, it was canceled. So God sets things like that up in the Old Testament because <clears throat> God did not want his people to, 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 have, to be under the punishment of slavery. Because as we can see here, slavery was a curse. And it was a curse. It started as a curse and it developed as a curse. And, uh, and so God was, was dealing with it as a curse upon the human race, a punishment and a consequence of sin. So it's a consequence of sin. Do you see? Not necessarily a sin itself. So that's the those those three things are totally conflated in this guy's video he's just assuming that there's all one type of slavery instead of three um now as it pertains to slavery itself as a category okay uh because in the new testament we see that paul the apostle for example uh you know uh, i'll give you an example here in um well peter d does the same thing uh, but Paul says in Colossians 3, I believe. Um, okay. In uh, Colossians 3, verse 22, it says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Uh, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive an inheritance as your reward. So, so Paul is <clears throat> encouraging bond servants to not run away from their masters. And he's encouraging them to be uh, good servants. And so he's, he's allowing for slavery. Now, He's now the question is this is in the back of Paul's mind is Paul is Paul legitimizing slavery? Is he saying that slavery is is good? Well, um, again, there's there are what we have to understand is that there are three different types of law in the Old Testament. OK, in the Old Testament, the three types of law are ceremonial law civil law or judicial law and moral law so the the two the two there's out of the three types of law there's only one type of law that's permanent the permanent law is the moral law that law does not change it is it is always 
and forever the same because it's connected to the eternal law of God, which is a part of his eternal. It's actually a part of God's essence. It's, it's a part of his holiness. It's who God is. So that when the, when the moral law, which we see in the 10 commandments as a perfect example of it, when we see in the 10 commandments that the moral law says thou shalt not steal. Well, we know that, Stealing is wrong, and God doesn't steal. God doesn't steal because God is holy, and 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 God keeps the law. Jesus didn't steal, right? God is sinless because stealing is an offense against God. So God's not going to steal. God's it says, "Thou shalt not bear false witness." Well, God's not going to bear false witness because it's a part of who He is. He He tells the truth. So God does not lie. In fact, the Bible even says that God says, I am not a man that I should lie. So what we understand is that the permanent law of uh, that goes through the, the Old Testament and into the New Testament is the moral law. But there's the other two types of law found in the Old Testament, the ceremonial and the civil or judicial, those laws were not meant to be permanent. Those laws were meant to be temporary and they were based in uh, uh, the ceremonial law was based in the sacrificial system, the religious system of the Old Testament, which was fulfilled through Christ. And the judicial or civil law was based in the well, the judicial law was based in the civil system, the governmental system in, 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 in Israel, the nation of Israel, which was also not permanent because that was fulfilled in Christ and in, and now in the church, who is the true people of God, so, so, so now, so the the civil laws, as it pertains, so so slavery. Getting back to the point, slavery is a part of the civil law. Slavery was a part of the judicial law, and civilly, God allowed and permitted the Israelites, the Hebrews, to have slaves that were indentured servants, but also as a punishment. Remember, one of the types of slavery was penal uh, slavery. So it was it was slavery as punishment. We see that it, it, it was inaugurated as a punishment through in Scripture through Noah uh, cursing one of his sons and his grandsons. <clears throat> the, the point is simply that God allowed slavery as punishment to the nations around Israel. So, so Israel was allowed to punish the nations by having uh, uh, slaves that were permanent slaves in its economy. But that was a punishment to the nations around them. And, and that was God's way of punishing the nations around them. So that, that is all understandable. Um, now, when we get to the New Testament, Paul the Apostle is working within the civil law of the Roman Empire. And he's saying, all right, well, this is the civil law of the, of, of the Roman Empire. It's not the same as the moral law of God. It's just the civil law, which is a temporary law. But I'm going to work within that framework and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell slaves to revolt against the civil laws of the Roman Empire because because the government has the right to actually make civil law 
and it wasn't a Christian government. Caesar was not a Christian. So why would why would Caesar abide by Christian law? Why would why would um, Caesar abide by a moral law that would say no? We do not allow slavery in this society because we're going to abide by the natural law. Well, no, Caesar's not going to do that. Caesar's a pagan. Caesar's going to set up a pagan rule, and 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 they're not going to understand that uh, that you know that slavery should be abolished in 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 total. Um, so they so Paul is working within the civil framework, but but uh, of the law, but he's not. He's not speaking of, of slavery. Paul never speaks of slavery. The New Testament never speaks of slavery as a permanent moral condition. Unlike homosexuality, and this is the switch here. The ho- homosexuality in the Old Testament from the very beginning was punished in Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis chapter 19. It was punished as soon as it pops up. It was punished by God as a sin and to- and, and abolished and prohibited and said, no, you cannot do this. Whereas slavery was was allowed as a, as a punishment homosex- for sin, homosexually, homosexuality was punished as a sin and it was punished immediately. Uh, as I said, Genesis chapter 19 in Sodom and Gomorrah. And then in the uh, the book of Leviticus, in Leviticus chapter 18 and chapter 20, we see God uh, explicitly forbids homosexuality as, w- as well as other sexual sins like bestiality and whatever else you, your mind can imagine. But the, pur- the purpose of sex that God designed was one man and one woman for life. And any deviation from that was punished. Now, some sexual sins are worse than others. And so God has different punishments for different sexual sins. But homosexuality was punished, and it was punished by death in the Old Testament. But the point is simply that God was saying, this is grave. This is so serious. I do not want this sin to be at in any way among my people. This is totally prohibited. It is an abomination. I loathe this particular sin. And that loathing is carried over into the New Testament. And 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 continue in it it is continually ratified in the New Testament. Because why? Because it's not a part of the merely civil law, which it it was, but it was part of the moral law, the permanent law that never changes. So where where the judicial civil law can change and has flexibility, the moral law has no flexibility. The moral law is, as I said from the beginning, a permanent law. So slavery falls under the civil law as something temporary and permitted the homosexuality falls under the moral law and it is never permitted. It is never tolerated. And it is always in both new and old, old and new testaments prohibited completely because it is, it is against the permanent will of God, the eternal will of God. It is a, it is, it is a sin against God. It'll always be a sin against God and nothing can change that. And, and, and so for this, for this, you know, apparent alleged scholar, biblical scholar to not even make those important distinctions, he's just not doing theology straight up. He's not doing theology. 
And this is why people need to be careful about just going along with somebody because they have letters after their name or because they say they're super important um, so that now everything they say is, you know, God's truth. And it's simply not. We, we test all things against the truth and particularly the truth of God's word. And so um, slavery, to reiterate, slavery is, is incomparable to homosexuality. The reason why homosexuality is still prohibited uh, and and uh, in, by the church in Christianity and has been for 2,000 years is because it is immoral, fundamentally, intrinsically immoral. Whereas slavery was permitted for a time because it wasn't uh, regarded as intrinsically immoral because it had it was it was a part of the civil law and even even you know w- within the last 150 years they had debtors prisons and i'm talking about indentured servitude by the way they had debtors prisons where if you couldn't pay you know we live in a society that's run on on debt essentially so we don't put people in prison for debt <laughs> because we'd have to put everybody in prison for debt um <laughs> but but there was a time when this when our societies were not run on debt uh where if you had outstanding debts and you couldn't pay them yet you would go to a debtor debtor's prison and you would work it off and again that sort of indentured servitude w- was was permitted in the context of the the children of israel um but the point is simply that slavery itself in the Old Testament was was permitted under qu- certain qualifications, as I've as I've said, either as 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 a, a punishment or as permissible within uh, God's people if it was based on debt and not permanent. Well, the point is simply that homosexuality was never permitted because it fell under a different category of law, which was moral law, and so that is why. It, it has it, it has always been condemned and it is incomparable in every in every scenario to slavery so I hope that makes sense um I would also just really quickly turn to Philemon uh and it, Philemon this whole book is about a slave a runaway slave Onesimus and um Onesimus really quickly runs away from his master, uh, Philemon, and Paul writes to Philemon, he's a buddy, and he just says, hey, listen, Onesimus, uh, you know, he um, he became a Christian, he, you know, he loves Jesus, please accept him back as, as uh, you know, as, well, look at what he says. He, he says, um, he says, this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever no longer as a bond servant but more than a bond servant as a beloved brother especially to me but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the lord so paul says philemon or, or uh, onesimus is to be received back to uh, philemon no longer as a bond servant but more than a bond servant as a beloved brother. So as you see here, even in, even in the New Testament, there's slight changes, particularly to the the status of slaves within the church. 
that Paul is even saying, hey, listen, please take this man back. I will pay any damages. Uh, if you, you know, it, it, he says in verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So Paul is basically saying, I'll pay for the damages. Please accept this, this slave back. He's a Christian now. And ex don't accept him back as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother. And so you can see how Christianity is changing the relationship of slaves and masters. And it's changed and 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 because that relationship is changing, the society would eventually change. And that's why slavery, by the time you get to the Middle Ages, slavery was completely, Roman pagan slavery was completely abolished. And the slaves went from being slaves to serfs, and then from serfs to peasants, and then from peasants to citizens. And that is the progression that has taken place over the last 2,000 years in Christian society as Christianity has developed the society and has been allowed to influence the society for good, morally speaking. So, so these changes have, have totally occurred based on the fact that God, God wants us all to be free. So absolutely. And so, so if God wants us all to be free, then yes, we should get rid of uh, the things that are holding people back in that sense. But as an intrinsic institution, as as something that says, well, there are there there is this is allowable in a sense. Um, no, you know, slavery is not comparable to homosexuality because God did tolerate it and did allow it to take place uh, for a season as a temporal a, a temp a part of temporal uh, judicial law. But he he you know he wants homosexuality homosexuality was never a part of judicial law merely it was rooted in the moral law from the very beginning with no exceptions so they're not they are not at all comparable and why is homosexuality you know fundamentally intrinsically immoral because it is against nature because it is completely and totally against nature and um it is against the sixth commandment directly um, and, and, you know, God's whole sexual ethic, which is that sex is for marriage and particularly primarily for the purpose of within marriage procreation. And it cannot fulfill either of those qualifications because there's no comp uh, sexual complementarity between two men and there's no ability to procreate between two men. And so it is fundamentally against nature, nature and perverse. So that's the deal. All right, let's move on. Um, okay. Deleted. <laughs> okay, let's watch another one. What are we going to do here? Um... What are we going to do? Uh, let's do this guy. We've just got so much to react to. It's crazy. I Okay, so this is... What is this? Um, okay, this is a video by a guy named Isaiah Saldivar. And as I've said before, I'm going to try to get the names right here. But... Um, let's check this out. I'm just hear your overall thoughts on tongues yeah, and praying the, in tongues. The devil doesn't waste his time on things that don't hurt his kingdom. And if the devil has worked overtime to divide the church yes, over one issue, yes. it's over the issue of tongues. Yep. The devil is showing his hand. 
And I believe by the amount of division and demonic activity against it. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18, the Apostle Paul is looking at the Corinthians who are zealous for spiritual gifts, yes. zealous to move in all the stuff, and he dropped the most gangster verse in the whole wide world. <laughs> I thank God I speak with tongues more than all of you. Mm. He lived in this. He constantly was, whether he was traveling or working or in prison, in between, everywhere. I think it's the greatest secret to his devotional life. Yeah. I think it's the doorway to the man that walked in the realm of revelation, the man that walked in the character of Christ, in the holiness of Christ, in the power yeah, of Christ. Good. The doorway he gave us is, I thank God I speak with tongues more than all of you. Yeah. That okay. Okay. Well let's um before the baptists and the calvinists leave the chat and the cessationists leave the chat okay uh let's just react a little bit here okay so um so uh, let let me level with you guys i speak in tongues okay cessationists have left the chat <laughs> uh no i mean look i speak in tongues um I am a charismatic Christian. I believe uh, in the gifts of the Spirit. And so I would naturally side with what he's saying uh, just as a tendency uh, and agree with what he's saying. However, I do have some issues here. And I think that, um, you know, I'm a charismatic, but I'm not like, <laughs> I'm a, I'm, I, what I believe is based on the word of God. And I think so if we're going to, you know, so I'm not saying that he's, he's, well, he obviously, he did quote scripture. Um, but I, I want to qualify this here because I do think it's important we understand that, um, you know, this issue is divisive. Um, speaking in tongues issue, it is divisive. Um, and he's right about that. So he says in the beginning of the video, let's watch this again. And just hear your overall thoughts on tongues yeah, and praying the, in tongues. The devil doesn't waste his time on things that don't hurt his kingdom. And if the devil has worked overtime to divide the church yes, over one issue, yes. it's over the issue of tongues. Yep. The devil is showing. So I don't believe that. <laughs> I just don't believe. Okay. And this is where the, the Calvinists and the cessationists and the Baptists can re-enter the chat. I'm a Calvin or I'm a Calvin. No, I'm not a Calvinist, but Freudian slip. No, I'm a, I am a uh, charismatic and I believe in speaking in tongues and I believe in prophecy and miracles and all that stuff. Um, but I don't agree with that. I do not agree that the one issue that's dividing the church today is speaking in tongues. I just, I don't know what planet that guy's living on. I don't know what world that guy's living on. I don't know what bubble he's ministering within. Uh, but this is the first time, you know, I've been teaching theology, teaching the Bible, um, you know, for, for a while now and been a part of multiple local churches. I don't see this issue as the dividing issue in 2024. You're telling me that the dividing issue is tongues. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do with that? That is, that is such a, uh, out of touch statement. That is something that I'm just wondering, like, are we living on the same planet here? Because in 2024, bro, there are so many bigger fish to fry that if your thing is tongues, 
You think that like that's the thing, tongues? You know what I'm saying? You're not even like you're not even like <laughs> you're not even up to like the level of like the screw tape letters yet. <laughs> C.S. Lewis, Lewis is like writing the screw tape letters and he's the demon's like, make sure he doesn't speak in tongues. You know, like there's a lot of content in the screw tape letters that is demonic as it pertains to, um, you know, the demon's desire to destroy a Christian's life. Tongues isn't really one of those things. Um, and neither is prophecy. Neither is really any of the gifts of the spirit. I, I think that the gifts of the spirit are powerful and profound. And I think we, we should have them. We should desire them. Um, and th so, so here, let me qualify some of what I'm saying too, so that the charismatics don't leave the chat. Although honestly, the charismatics probably don't even listen to this podcast. Uh, but the point is simply that <laughs> they're too busy talking in tongues. Um, but the point is simply that, like, we have to understand here, th this is not, like, the issue. It's just not the issue. Now, do I think that, you know, like, prayer is important in the Christian life? Yes. Prayer is important in the Christian life. And is that scripture verse that Paul used important? Yes. Absolutely. Like, let's look at that scripture. Okay, so First uh, Corinthians... Um, yeah, so, so, you know, Paul loves tongues, right? He is saying, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Um, still, I'm actually looking for that reference. <laughs> okay. Hold on here. Where's that video? Yeah, 1418. Here it is. There it is. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But then check this out. Check this out. So he quotes 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Right? And then the next verse, what's the next verse say? Nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, in other words, regardless of what I just said, okay? So what he just said was setting him up for the second sentence, which that guy didn't quote, obviously, okay? But we're, we're Bible people, and, he, and so should he be a Bible person. Let's read the next verse. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, the charismatics need to really let that sink in, okay? Especially, I would say, this gentleman here. Because the, the emphasis on tongues, he's saying, you know, I can see this guy telling Paul the Apostle, quoting, him, quoting Paul the Apostle back to himself, <laughs> you know, back to Paul the Apostle and saying, hey, Paul, you even said that you speak in tongues more than everybody else. And you thank God because of it. Yeah. And then Paul says, yeah, but dude, not in church. <laughs> and the, that's the problem is that charismatics, many times they, they don't understand 
order. They don't understand the purpose of something because they're not reading the Bible fully. And so they take things out of context and they, like this guy just did, pull a scripture out of its context and then build a doctrine out of it and make it the the biggest thing ever. This, this is the biggest thing ever. Well, Paul, if, if Paul thought it was the biggest thing ever, wouldn't he say, yeah, the, the church should be doing this corporately? Like Paul won't, Paul won't even allow it to happen in, in a corporate setting without, without interpretation. <laughs> without interpretation, he's like, nope, backseat tongue boy. Okay. In church, I would rather speak five words with my mind than 10,000 tongues, than 10,000 words in a tongue. Straight up, he's he's saying that speaking words is that are under, intelligible are is more important as it pertains to benefiting other people than speaking in tongues. And you know that's why Paul writes earlier. He says the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So this is the order of the gifts that the the prophecy is actually the one that helps people corporately but the one who speaks in a tongue he's just building himself up. Now, now, is he building himself up? Yes, he is. And should tongues be emphasized as a private prayer language? Sure. Totally agree. I think that's wonderful. Um but sh but should it be emphasized corporately should it be everybody should be speaking in tongues and tongues 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 and i've been in meetings where they're like everybody pray in tongues right now it's like why are you why are you, that's against the bible the bible does not say to speak in tongues in in the corporate setting unless there's a, an interpretation a private prayer language where you are doing it privately to yourself with yourself between you and the holy spirit that's one thing but charismatics they just sometimes I just wonder if charismatics like being weird, you know, it's just it's like a like like some people just like they prefer, uh, you know, a cold room. It's it's like a pre personal preference. They just like being weird. The Bible, the Bible does not say this. And then on the issue of prayer, this is also an, uh, an important thing that we have to understand like the Holy spirit totally, absolutely. I completely agree. Gives prayer language, uh, uh tongues as a prayer language. Um, I don't believe he, I don't believe that I, I believe that everybody could get the gift of tongues, but I do not believe that everybody, uh, 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 does get the gift of tongues. Just like everybody, the Holy spirit, if the Holy spirit wanted to could give everybody the spirit of prophecy, and and everybody could prophesy, but we know that not all prophesy. And Paul even says that. Um, not all not all prophesy, not all uh, speak in tongues. But the point is simply that when we talk when we're talking about uh, prayer, because tongue tongues is a prayer language, um, Jesus himself taught us how to pray. Jesus Jesus taught us how to pray. And he he specifically said 
Um, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. And what is the prayer that he teaches us? Right here. Shabalaba ding to the dang to the dong. <laughs> Should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Hyundai. No, um, the prayer that Jesus teaches us is not tongues. The prayer that Jesus teaches us is our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the prayer that the Lord has taught us to pray. Now, again, I'm not saying that it's you know, I'm not trying to create a false dichotomy and say, well, you gotta, you either pray the Lord's prayer or nothing at all, you know, or you pray in tongues or nothing at all. I'm saying the prime, the primary prayer is a prayer that is articulated that we understand what we're praying because this is the perfect prayer. Because if you, if you study the theology of this prayer, you understand what you're praying and, uh, you, and by understanding what you're praying, you can meditate on the truth. If you're praying in tongues, you're praying in a mystical way. And unless you have the interpretation of what you're saying, you don't know what you're saying, but you know that it's mystically building you up and edifying you and building your faith. But again, like I'm just saying that <laughs> uh, the, the, the primary prayer that Jesus taught us to pray is the Lord's Prayer. Okay, And the tradition of prayer in the church, especially corporately, but also individually, has been to pray with an understanding of what we're saying here. Okay, And Jesus, you know, like Jesus prayed again in John chapter 17. The high priestly prayer of Jesus was not shabalaba ding to the dang to the dong. I'm just saying it wasn't tongues. Jesus spoke to his father in English. Well, <laughs> in English. He spoke to his father in probably Aramaic, uh, but he spoke to his father in the vernacular of his time. He spoke to his father in the language of his time that was understandable so that it could be written down in Scripture so that we now have the high priestly prayer of Christ. So this notion that prayer has to always be in tongues, that prayer, also the the notion that prayer has to be extemporaneous is, is also nonsense. Prayer primarily is not extemporaneous because the Lord's prayer was written down and deliberate. So prayers that are guided, prayers that are written down are biblical and actually primary. And all other prayer is secondary. It's permissible, but it's secondary and tertiary to the, the prayer that we have biblically. So as long as you are not violating biblical prayer, I say, okay, tongues. But this, again, this notion that the devil is, A, dividing the church over tongues, come on, dude. Like, there's no, there's, it's just, it's just a nonsensical idea. Paul the Apostle does not write to Timothy and say, make sure you guard the gift of tongues because the devil's going to come against that. 
I'm speaking prophetically here, you know. The time will come, Timothy. The time will come when people will not want to pray in tongues. The devil's going to get them. Paul says this, I charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready and in season and out of season. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, healthy teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. The point is simply that Paul, his emphasis is always on doctrine. And not just, just one doctrine, not just the, the me doctrine, not just my pet doctrine, not just, hey, I'm a Pentecostal, and this is my identity marker, and this is what I'm going to emphasize because I'm a Pentecostal, hallelujah. And I believe that if you are not speaking in tongues, you are a second-class Christian. <laughs> no, it's like the identity marker for Paul was healthy doctrine that was that was his his emphasis it was teaching the whole counsel of god the whole counsel of god which is what he says to the ephesian elders in acts chapter two, uh in acts chapter 20 where is this um Here, Paul says this, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you, the Ephesian church, for two years, the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel. It's not just about tongues, bro. And this is what happens when you have a myopic doctrinal uh, uh, emphasis, where it's all about your, it's all about your tribe. People, people do this, especially in Protestantism. Unfortunately, in Protestantism, people fracture off into tribes and they think that the identity marker of their own personal tribe is the most important thing of all time. So for Pentecostals, it's you have to um, you have to get you have to uh, speak in tongues because that is the marker of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you don't speak in tongues, you are not baptized in the Holy Spirit, and therefore you you know you just don't have the Holy Spirit because on Pentecost they had the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues. So you have to do it. Well, that's just not scriptural. That's, that the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible describes an event that took place. And they did speak in tongues, but it didn't say, it doesn't say, and you have to speak in tongues in order to be spirit filled. It doesn't say that. There's no mandate in scripture that says you have to speak in tongues to be spirit filled. But they've, they, the Pentecostals have gotten this thing and this is their baby. This is their pet doctrine. And everything takes a back seat. And it's like, bro, in 2024, you're telling me we got transgendered stuff going on. We got abortion going on. We got gay marriage going on. We got <laughs> we got the country falling apart going on. And you're sitting here telling me about tongues. 
being the devil. <laughs> You're saying that the devil's trying to get get us through talking about through tongues. <laughs> Seriously, that is just again. It like that seems to me to be a a, a demonic distraction. That comes. I'm not saying. Uh, hear me out. I'm not saying that guy is is demonic. I'm just saying that it seems to be a massive distraction from what, from the things that are really going on. Like we got people deconstructing from their faith. Just they're straight up. Like, I don't believe in hell. I don't believe like, I don't believe in the apostles creed. I don't believe in any of the 12 articles of the apostles creed. By the way, none of the, none of the articles in the apostles creed that have defined Christianity for 2000 years have to do with speaking in tongues. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, so I'm just saying again. I'm not. I'm not trying to de-emphasize the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I. I but I do believe that the th there are more important things that the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on than tongues. You know, the the Corinthian church was a carnal church. The Corinthian church was full of people who were not walking the walk. They were certainly talking the talk, but they were not walking the walk. And Paul has to rebuke them and point them back to the 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 importance of sound doctrine, the importance of the major things that they can't that they that they shouldn't uh, uh, escape. And Paul Paul says in in First uh, Corinthians thirteen, he says, "If I speak in the tongues." of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Again, let it sink in. Is Paul saying that we should not speak in tongues? Is that what he's saying? No, he's not saying that, but he is saying there's something more important. In fact, that that's the that's actually the 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 thing that he's he he talks about in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, when he's talking about spiritual gifts and he's teaching them about spiritual gifts and bringing order to their chaos, he says, um, he says this, he says, I will show you in verse 31, chapter 12, verse 31, he says, I will show you, well, he's talking about the gifts of the body. He says, and let's start in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Notice how tongues come last. <laughs> Just saying, bro. Just saying. <laughs> Paul's this guy's like tongues is number one problem, number one thing the devil's trying to get. Paul's like, uh, yeah, it's the last thing. That's actually the last thing on the list of importance. Last thing. Um, <laughs> but check this out, okay? Check this out. Verse twenty nine. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do listen, do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? So Paul is saying not everybody has every gift. Not the, the Holy Spirit gives gifts as he will, 
as he wills. The Holy Spirit decides who gets what, and he doesn't give everything equally. This notion that everybody's supposed to speak in tongues, I mean, you, you might as well say everybody's supposed to be a teacher. Everybody's supposed to be a miracle worker. Everybody's supposed to be have a gift of healing. Everybody's supposed to be an, an apostle. Well, the, there, there's order and there are different gifts in the body of Christ. And we have to allow for the diversity of gifts and allow people to do what they do as the Holy Spirit gives them gifting. But check this out. Paul, Paul ends this. All the, obviously, these are all rhetorical questions, but Paul says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And then he says this, a conjunction, and I will show you still a still more excellent way. But wait, Paul, they, no, gifts of the spirit, they're the most, they're the more excellent way. We need gifts of spirit. We need, the devil's going to try to get us on tongues, Paul. Paul's like, hold on, let me show you a more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul is saying that love is more important as it pertains to character, as it pertains to the formation of your intention, spiritual formation, as it pertains to holiness, as it pertains to growing more and more like Jesus Christ and growing more and more in union with Jesus Christ. The virtue of love is the thing that is the most important. Now, now, what do you think the devil is trying to, to attack? <laughs> the devil is trying to attack your love. He's trying to get you to stop loving God. That's the number one thing because that's the number one thing. That's the number one thing for the devil because that's the number one thing for God. God knows that if he, God, God wants you to grow in love more than he wants you to grow in tongues, more than he wants you to grow in prophetic powers, more than he wants you to grow in, 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 in even knowledge, book, book knowledge, more than he even wants you to grow in giving away all that you have. Some people, they, they think that, oh, I just need to become, you know, I just need to give everything away. And I just need to become a social worker. That's how I can grow. I just need to make all these, you know, sacrifices for other people. Paul says you can do that without love. So the point is simply that the Holy Spirit is here to make us holy. And when we are growing in holiness, he will use our giftings. But there are many times that our giftings get us to a place where we are not able to be sustained because our character can't keep us there. And so God is more interested in growing our character than he is in growing our charisma. And that means that we ought to prioritize our character over our charisma. We ought to prioritize ourselves over our ministry we ought to we ought to properly order these things and say lord am i growing in love 
towards you. We ought to prioritize the gifts. We ought to prioritize the fruit of the Spirit over the gifts of the Spirit. Jesus didn't say they'll know you by your gifts. Jesus said they'll know you by your fruits. Jesus said they shall know you are my disciples by your love for one another. But love being the point, the virtue of love, that is the virtue, the theological virtue that that causes us and cha- causes us to change into the image of Christ and, and causes us to gain eternal life in a sense, because we cannot enter eternal life without love for God. And as this is what Paul is saying, he even says that tongues will cease. He says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. Paul is talking about the inferiority of tongues, of the, of the gifts of the spirit to the fruit of the spirit. Love never ends. And as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. The greatest, he says, now, now, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So in my opinion, God is, you know, the greatest commandment is not speak in tongues. The greatest commandment is thou shalt, thou shalt, is not thou shalt speak in tongues. The greatest commandment is thou shalt love the Lord, your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, again, to me, I think those commandments are what the devil is trying to destroy in our hearts. The devil is trying to attack the love that we have for God because the devil knows that if he can create obstacles to our love for God, then he can he can get get a foothold to the very the very core of of our salvation, and he can cause us to well to 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 be disobedient to God, to rebel against God, and to lose our salvation. Because I do believe we can lose our salvation. Sorry, Calvinists. And now the Calvinists have left the chat. Anyway, we're done. Um, again, I want to reiterate, I don't I don't think that speaking in tongues is, is uh, sinful. I think it's great. I think we should ask um, the Lord for the gift. I think we should de- desire gifts. I think it's tongues is wonderful as a prayer language. I think it should be ordered, but I also don't I also disagree with the notion that the devil is trying to attack Christians uh, or Christianity by by getting us to divide over the doctrine of tongues. <laughs> I mean it's just it's just a historical nonsensical um you know that's that the Bible itself does not warn of that in the last days. The Bible itself warns that in the last days, uh, the attack will be upon sound doctrine. The attack will be upon Christian orthodoxy. The attack will be upon the most important convictions that form and shape the doctrine of Christianity. And those those most important convictions uh, were formed uh, by the apostles in the Apostles' Creed, uh, uh, ratified at the Council of Nicaea and have sustained the church for 2,000 years. And tongues isn't in there. 
<laughs> just straight up. Now, again, we need the grace of the Holy Spirit and we need the, you know, the graces, the gifts that, that are graces. And we should we should encourage those and they help us and they they shape us and they form us. I'm just saying that the the number one thing I think that the the enemy is trying to destroy in in our lives is is attack our uh you know, the, the fruit of the spirit. I think the devil is trying to attack the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, as opposed to the gifts of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit are, are, are secondary to the fruit of the spirit. The point, like you can have, as Paul just said, you can have, you can do all these things in terms of gifting. But if you're, if the fruit of your, the spirit in, in your life is not there, you are not, you're benefiting other people but you're not benefiting yourself and you are in the eyes of God um, not doing well. And I, I think that that's, that's the key. The key is obeying the commandment of Christ, keeping that the focus, love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Keep that number one. Number two, love your neighbor as you love yourself. The devil is trying to attack those commandments in your life. And obviously the Decalogue is a fulfillment of those commandments and is a, an augmentation of those commandments. Anyway, that's my reaction to that. Okay. Oh, what else do we want to react to? Um, let's just do this one. This is wild. This is really wild. I was trying to explain to him why his theology was shit. I was trying to explain oh. to him why being a non-affirming individual, meaning they believe that to be LGBTQ is a sin and needs to be repented of, um, mm. why it was so bad. And I basically, I was like, because it kills. Because that theology, the belief that who I am is inherently flawed and needs to be repented of, uh, drove me to try to take my life twice. And we all know someone who unfortunately is not with us anymore because of that i don't know a single queer person who don't know some other person they lost mm. and so to say so the reason like it boils down to it i could give a trigger warning profanity i don't give a flying fuck about your theological position if it is not rooted in a relationship with real people because that's the thing non-affirming theology kills people and that is the only reason you need to change your mind yeah. if you have a heart and if you don't that's fine you just need to admit that you're heartless and go on with your life i have no problem with that but we just gotta be truth tellers you know what i'm saying <laughs> you gotta be truth tellers how could you be so heartless yeah how could you be so heartless um well yeah, I mean, <laughs> we got to be truth tellers, you know. <laughs> Here's a bunch of non-truths, but we got to be truth tellers, you know. It's all about truth. But let me lie to you for a lot for for, for the next little while. Um, okay, so this is uh, Kevin Garcia. He is a spiritual spirituality coach, quote unquote, and he's got pronouns in his bio, obviously. <laughs> So I saw this on Instagram and I just couldn't resist. You know, it's one of those. In, I'm indulging myself. It's those. It's those. Um, those pleasures that are just self-indulgent. And um, so let's take this apart here. Um, 
I was trying to explain to him why his theology was shit. I was trying oh, to explain okay. to him why being a non-affirming individual, meaning they believe that to be LGBTQ is a sin and needs to be repented of, um, why it was so bad. And I basically I was like, because it kills. Because that theology... The okay, so, so again, you know, this is really, really simple stuff, but... Um, and probably the people that are listening already know the answer to all this stuff. But, um, you know, he's he's basically saying, um, you know, if you don't if you don't affirm what I'm saying, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know another explanation, synopsis, better summary of what he's saying. than if you don't if you don't agree with me about who I want to be. I'm going to kill myself. So how's that? Okay. You know, um, I think that's great for, you know, a, a hostage situation. <laughs> you know, if, if you're taking hostages, you know, that's, that's one way to do it. Um, but I'm, I'm not a subscriber to theological terrorism. And so I don't believe that, um, you know, I don't believe that that's a that's the proper way. I think that's a highly immature way of looking at this. Now, I will say, look, hey, if this guy tried to kill himself because of his, uh, you know, uh, uh, because because he was trying to identify uh, as an LGBTQ person and he kept feeling, uh, you know, bad about it and he got got into depression. I don't know this guy's story. It, I mean, point blank, he just says, I tried to kill myself twice. Well, I don't know. the. To be honest, I don't know all the details. I'm sure it's a long story. And I'm sure there's lots of things that he could inform me about. And he's probably got a therapist that he's talking to about it. Uh, good for him. All I'm saying is uh, the scriptures themselves are very clear um, that uh, on, on, you know, on the issue of whose side uh, Jesus is on as it pertains to life. And in John chapter 10, Jesus says in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus is not trying to kill uh, people by, by teaching them the truth. Uh, Jesus affirmed that from the beginning, God created man as one woman or as one man and one woman, and that sexuality was to uh, take place within the confines and covenant of marriage. And Jesus affirms the the uh, the sexual ethic of the of the scriptures from the very beginning. And he even he explicitly says in Matthew chapter five. Um, that to lust after a woman is to commit adultery with her in your heart. So Jesus is, in, in fact, you know, augmenting the sexual ethics of the Old Testament, and he is explicitly laying down the law uh, in, a, in a way that is um, exhaustive, really, because having to do with the very thoughts and intents of our heart. And which was imp completely implicit in the old law, uh, but Jesus is making it explicit 
um, an exoteric in the new law and saying, hey, just in case you didn't realize this, this is what I'm after. I'm after complete interior change right down to the very thoughts that you have. But again, the context of all of this is that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus comes that we may have life and life abundantly. God's goal is our good. God loves us and he wants the good for us. And all of the commandments that God gives us are for our good. They are not arbitrary. They're not capricious. They're not so that he can just, you know, torture us. God is trying to say, hey, listen, you're broken. You're at, you're, you're, your activity and behavior is disordered. You know, you're like a machine that's out of order. And I want to fix you. And I want to make it so that I want to put you back in order. And that's going to, by the way, that's going to be a lot of work. <laughs> this is, this is not going to be easy. And by the way, you're going to need my help to do it. So if you think that you can just reorder your own life without my grace, without my supernatural power, good luck. You won't be able to do it, but I'm going to do something in you. That's a miracle. I'm going to do something in you supernatural, and I'm going to change you from the inside out. And I'm going to change your, even I'm going to change even your desires, but that is going to take time. It's going to take grace and it's going to my grace. And it's going to take your free will in cooperation with my grace. But the goal is not so that people kill themselves. Because the Bible is very explicit about killing themselves. <laughs> the Bible is very explicit about murder, particularly self-murder, which is the sin of suicide. Killing yourself is self-murder. And that comes from the demonic. That is not something that comes from Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ, you know, again, it's difficult work. You see, Jesus never said it was going to be easy. The road that Jesus walked wasn't easy. Jesus was at the Garden of Gethsemane and he was sweating blood. Jesus shrunk back from the terror that awaited him on the cross, from the pain, the excruciating anguish that awaited him on the cross. And Jesus tells us that if we want to be his disciples, we have to take up our cross and follow him. We have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. So that means that it's not going to be easy. That means that it's going to take a lot of work and it's going to be the work of a lifetime. And following Christ is not for wimps. And that, yes, there's going to be times where we're frustrated and we're angry at ourselves and we're angry sometimes even at God or whatever. And, and I mean, that's a sin to be angry at God. But I'm just saying, like, there are going to be times where we sin and we and we and we, you know, it's it's very it's going to be a very human experience, but it's going to be a good experience, just like, you know, being a child wasn't always fun. You know, being a child was fun, but it wasn't always fun. Because sometimes as a child, I wanted to do something and my parents said no. And I would slam the door and say, as all children say, I hate this family. I wish I was never a part of this family. Right? And that's essentially what, what these people who are grown up children do. When throwing tantrums like this, emotional tantrums and saying, I'm going to kill myself if you don't agree with me. Oh, okay. Well, that's a great way to start the conversation. You know, um, Jesus Christ has come like he is. He, and he says, I'm the good shepherd. 
So Jesus is here to shepherd us. Jesus is here to parent us. And he wants us to grow. And he wants us as, you know, good parents want their children to grow. And sometimes the parents have to discipline the children. In fact, a lot of times, <laughs> you know, my my sister and her husband are wonderful people and and they're just very mature, but they have to discipline their, their children a lot because their children are very strong-willed, you know, Finocchio children, okay? But their children, their children are very strong-willed and 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 they have a, a, a you know, like their their kid, those kids, those kids have their own agenda. And it's 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 a wrestling match in many cases between parents and kids. Whose will will win? And the the the, the, the sexual will is very strong in some people. And so this guy, he just has you know, some stuff in his life that, that God wants him to give up, that God wants him to deny, that God wants him to crucify, mortify, to put to death in himself, which is what every single Christian has to do. And and so, you know, that that is the Christian life. But and you can't do it without the grace of God. And some people give up on that. And what I think happens is this guy, he, he, he has given up on the grace of God trying to change him. He's, he said, he's thrown in the towel and, and, and he's also trying to, to, you know, change what the scripture is saying and change Christianity and saying, you know what, um, you know, your theology now it's now it's well your theology what does he say your theology has to you have to have a relationship with someone don't just tell me your theology well i'll tell you i have a relationship with god is that good enough <laughs> you know the 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 relationship that well, that i have with god is the primary relationship in my life that i care about and if everybody in my life disowns me god doesn't disown me if everybody in my life turns away and says, we don't want to be your friend anymore, Gabe. Okay. Well, you know, there was a time in Jesus's life where a lot of people left him too. And, and in Paul's life where a lot of people left him, but we stand on the word of God and we stand on his, on our, our relationship with him as it pertains to his covenant that we've made with him. And the covenant that we are in with God is not on our terms. And this is another problem with the whole relationship talk, talk that we've heard over and over and over again, that people, they're like, it's all about a relationship with God. But what they mean by that is that the relationship is on their terms instead of being on God's terms. And the truth is that our relationship with God is based on his terms. It's his way that we are following. He's not following us. We are following him. He's not. He, you know, he, he is not saying, okay, well, um, you know, if you guys, it's negotiable, you know, whatever you guys want to negotiate, you know, here, you guys can do that. No, it's not negotiable. It's God's directive. It's God's commandments given to us that we are to be obedient to. And so anyway, I love this guy. We need to pray for this guy, Kevin Garcia. We love you, bro. But you know what? This is, you know, the, the, unfortunately, dude, like the word of God isn't going to change. And again, you know, Jesus came to give us life. He does, you know, I, I to, uh, the, the thought of suicide is not from Jesus. It's not from the Holy spirit. Jesus is encouraging us, 
uh, to enter into his life. Although his the way of Jesus is difficult. It is difficult. It's it, Jesus didn't say that the you know the 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 cross would be comfortable. He didn't say that. It wasn't comfortable for him. So is it going to be comfortable for us? Is the servant greater than the master? Jesus said no. The servant is not greater than the master. Jesus said if they hated you they'll hate me or if they hated me they'll hate you. So Again, you know, so we have to be very clear and obviously we have, we have to be clear that the that the point of the commands of Christ is for our good. God loves us, which means he wants the good for us, which means that his will for us and his desire for us is that we do good and that we become good through his grace and through our obedience to his will. Anyway, Okay, that's that. Um, what else are we going to do here? Oh, this is this is wild. I don't even know what... I, I don't even remember what this was, but let's check this out. This is... <laughs> what is this? Um... Okay, this is a... <laughs> yeah, I, th I think it's all in the The thing. Church of England has its first non-binary, openly non-binary priest, Bingo Allison, not sure if that was her born name, 36, her Christian name, is genderqueer and says God guided them to come out. Good morning and welcome to the Church of St. Margaret of Antioch in Topsteth. And today is Transgender Day of Visibility. Uh, my name is Reverend Bingo Allison, and I am a non-binary transgender priest in the Church of England. Um, as part of our uh, commemoration of Transgender Day of Visibility, we have a morning prayer service uh, that we're going to read now. Um, and uh, most of the liturgy uh, is either directly quoted <coughs> from scripture or uh, is written by myself. Wow. Well, um, <laughs> just it's it's a clown world that we live in at this point, um, and um, yeah, I mean, the Church of England has a non-binary priest, transgendered priest. <sighs> you know, it's like it's just so decadent. It's just such a sign of decay. Um, I don't know, man. <laughs> I think like at some point you just gotta, you just got to throw your hands up and say, what the hey? Um, yeah, I really don't have a strong reaction to that other than pure disgust. <laughs> and, um, you know, I don't really know a lot about the Church of England in terms of its all of its inner workings. I'm not Anglican or Episcopalian. Um, I do know that J.I. Packer was an Anglican till death, and he 
you know, started a new fellowship of Anglicans, a new network of Anglicans. I think it's called the Anglican Church in North America. And it's very orthodox um, generally and, you know, wouldn't tolerate anything like that. But I think the broader Anglican Church has all these issues. And, um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, I'm fascinated in the sense that, like, I'm just kind of waiting for the building to collapse. You know, like, <laughs> it's just teetering. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's just almost there. You're just waiting for the final collapse of the Church of England. And I think, I think it's almost here. It's almost among us. But, you know, I was thinking, like, what's it like to be the girl who's saying that at the beginning of the video like the church of england has its first non-binary openly non-binary priest bingo allison not sure if that was her born name 36 her christian name is genderqueer and says god guided them to come out like this girl here is who i'm interested in not real not romantically at all but you know she is seemingly like a pretty normal person um she's uh she's in broadcasting it seems like what does a person like that think about the church reporting on an issue like this what kind of a you know like what is going through her mind like is, she must think that the church is such a joke <laughs> Like she must think that the church is such a circus, um, you know. Th and this is this is what happens. This is the scandal that is created. This is why this this sort of thing should be outrageous to people of devout faith. It should be sacrilege. It should be blasphemy. It should be something where we tear our garments and we freak out and like. And we do something, you know, heroic for God um, and something public for God like that, that really, you know, marks our position publicly on the on the matter. Um, it should cause us to be um, deeply offended, these sorts of things um, as Christians, because it's so like it's it it makes it 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 causes people who might otherwise be open to to christianity to just laugh at what a joke the church is that's the scandal because the word scandal means to trip someone out to trip some someone up and it particularly means in in the christian context someone who's perhaps a genuine well-meaning seeker of truth to, to someone who who might be on their way to understanding Christ and 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 coming to know Christ they see this and they're just like what a clown show that's you know that's that's my thing it's like I'm not so much preoccupied about you know the obvious uh insanity of this transgendered non-binary priest in the church of England. I'm more concerned about the scandal about how it affects other people that are trying, that might, that might actually like try to come to know Christ. How many people are seeing this and, and just, and just turning away in 
in in disgust personally about like the the nature of the church which is a reflection of the gospel which is a reflect you know reflection of Christ like oh my gosh like just crazy anyway those are my thoughts okay what else do we have we're going to end a little early tonight what else do we got um Oh, actually, this might fit. <laughs> this might fit what we're saying. I love this clip. This is, um, who is this? This is uh, Douglas Wilson uh, speaking to Douglas Wilson speaking to um, Andrew Claven, I think. Um Let's go. If you preach about sin with a jackhammer, it's going to be more like the prophets and the minor prophets and the apostles. But here's the and here's the secret. If you do that, you're going to get into trouble because no reformation, no uh, cultural analysis that's worth anything is accompanied by the sound of polite golf applause. (laughs) (laughs) They'll build a statue or memorial to you 200 years later. But at the time reformers and prophets are a nuisance right and and jesus talks about this phenomenon he he says that you build memorials for the prophets thus testifying that you're descended from the people who killed them (laughs) and that's (laughs) right so dead dead prophets are go they go very nicely on the on the marble when you're in when you're inscribing the inspirational thing that they said but while a prophet is alive, he's a perfect and royal nuisance yeah. be- because he's, he's speaking to the sins that that generation is committing at that time. Um, and so consequently, uh, a lot of preachers discovered that to be culturally engaged is to be hated. Wow. Yes. I love that. That was awesome. We started on a positive note. We're going to end on a positive note. This is such a, this is this is like the Joel Osteen version of this show. You know, I'm just I feel so positive right now. These <laughs> these happy happy reactions. Oof, making me feel good. No, I loved that video. I totally agree with uh, Douglas Wilson. Who, if you don't follow Douglas Wilson on YouTube or something, he you have to. He's such a great. Um, comment uh, uh public commentator cultural commentator he is uh certainly one of the most um acute um critics of our day and age that is alive today uh but completely um on the nose and 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 never too on the nose just perfect in its um you know in its delivery. And so I, I highly recommend following Douglas Wilson. He's completely right. Obviously. Um, you know, it seems that everybody who is speaking out about things has this sort of prophetic edge to them. And it may just be the fact that you have to be (laughs) somewhat of a prophet, uh, and have somewhat of a, a, a prophetic calling, uh, to say anything because ev- everybody is so quiet 
and everybody just wants to get along and everybody wants to just to go along and uh, float downstream over the waterfall. And as Chesterton said, only a living thing, anything, any dead thing can float downstream. It takes a living thing to float, uh, to to uh, swim against the stream. And, you know, this is really part of the point of this show is to, um, to criticize um, the anti-Christianity and the insanity of our times. Part of this show is to um, call out the false gods. Part of this show is to uh, highlight the immorality and the errors of our of our ways, because that is how reform happens. See, I don't I don't think like these. I don't think guys who actually you know there are guys who think that they're building something and they would probably call themselves visionary, but they don't have a divine vision. And they don't have a divine revelation because a divine vision uh, points out the, the real problems that are going on. And the real problems have to do with idolatry and immorality in the people. That's what the prophets were always pointing to. And that that prophetic vision is the vision that we need. We don't like like a lot of people will say, yeah, I have tons of vision, man. I'm a visionary. It's like, are you a prophetic visionary or are you a pathetic visionary? <laughs> Because a pathetic visionary is going to think about the temporal things. A pathetic visionary is going to be, uh, going to be thinking all about and, and ex excelling and causing themselves to be preoccupied with the temporal and with the systems that exist and and perfecting you know the uh the uh the way that we do what we do so that it, everything that we do is efficient but it's not going to be thinking about the end of the the, the line it's not going to be thinking about the product it's not going to be thinking about the results as results it's going to just be thinking about the processes and that's what that's really where we live we live in this time and this this day and this age where we are constantly inundated with leaders uh who have lots of vision for process but they have no vision uh for principle or for product they don't really understand where they can be where they're supposed to begin and where they're supposed to end but they're super preoccupied with the process and they can tell you all about the process. They can tell you how to get, you know, 50 campuses going. But but they'll never tell you what to preach. <laughs> they they'll they'll tell you how to build your organization so that your metrics are amazing, but they'll never tell you um, the 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 principles by which you're supposed to build as a as a uh, a man of God. Uh, and and they're not going to tell you they're not going to tell you the product that you're supposed to have. They're not going to tell you what the end result you're supposed to have is. They're just all about the process and and perfecting the process. And it's just it's it's just it's well, it's just modernism. You know, it's it's not um, majoring in the majors. Be and I'm not saying that it's not important to a degree. Um, in, in terms of process, but it's not, it's certainly not prophetic because the, the, in the prophetic, there is not, there is a call that calls people back to fundamental truths. And there's also a call that, uh, points to the errors in, in all the things that they're doing, but primarily in, 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 in the fundamentals that they're, that they've, you know, that they've neglected. And then also the product, the, the, uh, the end result, the, 
uh, the telos of their um, their you know their activity. Like, how does it end? What is it supposed to look like? And that's prophetic vision, in my opinion, and that's the kind of vision we need. Um, but again, back to criticism. The, the this show, you know, part of this podcast, it's it's about criticism. Um, in in the main, because we need reform, and criticism and reform go hand in hand. There's a Chesterton quote where he says, "All human institutions slide downwards like a landslide unless they are perpetually forced upwards by criticism and reform." And you know what? Like that's how things change. Things change when we criticize them. And we say, this is not acceptable anymore. And I'm not tolerating this anymore. And I'm, I'm, I'm done with this sort of thing. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go back to that old model of, you know, seeker sensitive church. And I'm not going to go back to the attractional model of church. And I'm not going to go back to prioritizing, uh, you know, um, <laughs> the, the, you know, the, the whims I'm not going to go back to prioritizing the fear of man. I'm going to prioritize the fear of God. I'm going to prioritize the word of God. I'm going to pr prioritize the spirit of God. I'm going to prioritize the the uh, the things that built the church for the last 2,000 years that we had abandoned in an attempt to try to reinvent the wheel, try to, you know, try to point to ourselves and, 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 you know, selfishly, uh, go about, uh, seeking like the prodigal son pleasure instead of faithfulness to the father. And so, you know, this, this show is a return to the father's house. This, this show is about criticizing ourselves not just criticizing, you know, not it, it, like not just criticizing random things, you know, arbitrarily criticizing authority, criticizing, you know, all the things that the deconstructionists want us to criticize. But no, this is the this is a show where we're saying we are the prodigals. We are the prodigals. <clears throat> the modern church in 2024 is prodigal church. We are the prodigal church and we need to return back to the house of God. We need to return back to the house of our father. We need to return back to the house of our forefathers. And we have to trace our steps in repentance back to the place of peace, the place of promise, the place of the presence of God. And that is what this show is about. I, I am more than ever committed to, um, you know, to, to focusing upon, um, criticism and reform in, 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 go, you know, going hand in hand, that repentance and reform go hand in hand. We need to repent. We need to point out the things that are wrong and we, and that is how we will reform. You know, we, we reform by repentance. That's how we reform. We don't reform by, uh, by deformation. <laughs> we, we reform, uh, by repentance and, and that includes, uh, a healthy criticism that is aware of the problems that is not trying to ignore the problems, but is trying to, uh, hear from God 
and understand, Lord, how, like, search us, Lord, search us and try us. See if there's any wicked way within us. Lord, you come and you speak to us and show us where we have sinned. Show us where we have gone off. You know, you pray a prayer like that and the Holy Spirit will meet you. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. And um, God wants humility. He, he, he resists the proud. He, he gives grace to the humble. And I think that uh, Douglas Wilson is right. You know, this is something that if you, if you decide to be a, a reformer, if you decide to repent and to, and to go uh, uh, back to the, the old wells of your fathers, if you go back and repent of trying to, you know, basically trying to live for the world like the prodigal son did, trying to trying to live for for pleasure, trying to live for the the applause of men, trying to live in the fear of man, trying to live in in the in the desire for the temporal and in in the love of the world. If you have found yourself in that place, going going to a church or churches like that, and you're like, I want to repent. I'm done with this. This has not led me to a healthy place. You know, you're going to be hated. You're going to be hated by the people who do love the world and who are also prodigals and who refuse to repent and who do, who hate the truth and who you know who want to keep everything going the way it's been going downstream downriver towards the waterfall you know towards destruction um and Jesus said broad is the way broad is the way that leads to destruction Narrow is the way that leads to life and few there are that find it. And so you have to be willing to, to walk the narrow road of repentance. You have to be willing to be the fish that swims against the current because you will be hated. Um, but, but you, you, you will be rewarded by God and you will be loved by God and you will be graced by God and God will sustain you and God will provide for you and God will take care of you as a, as a, as a good shepherd. And so he will never leave you nor forsake you because you are his and you've, you've devoted yourself to him. And so I want to encourage you today. um, If you are a tired reactionary Christian, <laughs> if you are a weary reactionary Christian, if you are a fickle reactionary Christian, if you are uh, someone who is, uh, you know, not, sh- uh, you know, kind of waffling as a reactionary Christian, uh, the, the, the main point here is that you need to be a repentant Christian. You know, this is, we're in the season of Lent, but, but, you know, in order to be a reactionary Christian, you need to become a repentant Christian and react against the sin in our own lives, react against the sin within us that doesn't want to submit to the will of God. And it's it's in multiple areas and it's in multiple things, but we have to surrender all. And that is how we change. We do an about face. Um, but again, you know, the people that we're hanging with are going to are going to criticize us if 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 we immediately leave their company and say no we're not I'm not doing this anymore I'm living for God I'm going to focus on the things of God and I'm going to prioritize the, the 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 right things in life so anyway I loved what he said he's uh he's awesome Douglas Wilson follow him 
Also, follow The Reactionary Christian on Instagram. We're on Instagram. We're on YouTube. We are on Rumble. That's our main channel. Uh, we have that. We do have exclusive content on Rumble. We've already done a live on Rumble. It's not anywhere else. It can't be found anywhere else. Um, and follow our Rumble channel and support us there. So anyway, uh, I hope everybody is... Uh, or has had fun. I've had a lot of fun. We act, we, I tried to react to as many as I could. Um, and uh, we'll get to more next week, okay? Also, I love your feedback. Keep sending me videos. Um, I do watch the videos you send me. And sometimes I'm like, yes, this is amazing. I want to react to that. So um, keep sending me videos. And um, always remember to be a reactionary Christian.